Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplugged with Annie. Today I've got a wonderful guest on the show. She's an actress, a singer-songwriter, an artist and energy healer. Yasmin was born in Dubai um, and she starred in various feature films and, and TV out in Canada. She's educated in psychology, chemistry, child education, performing arts and and uh, Reiki healing and Eastern chanting and she's done so much meditation. We're definitely going to learn a lot in today's workshop. She facilitates multidisciplinary healing workshops which really help empower people to participate in their own healing um, and she's currently out in LA she's now writing multiple short films one of which she is shooting this year in 2019 so we wish her all the best for that and um, I know that she's going to give us a lot a lot to think about so without further ado I'd like to welcome Yasmin to the show so firstly, welcome Yasmin to Unplug with Annie. Thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and I just want you from, 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 from yourself directly to tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing up until now, especially as, a, as an actress and a singer and, and all the stuff that you're doing, if you could tell us a little bit about it. Yes. Um, so I started acting... I want to say maybe 2009, it's been, it's been about a decade now. And I lived in Canada. So at first I was on Canadian shows and Canadian films. And then in about 2011, I moved to the US, but I took a hiatus from the acting world and the entertainment world for a couple of years. I kind of had this, this, this event happen. Um, I was in a commercial for a birth control, a particular birth, birth control, and it was a national commercial. It, was, it had a, a contract that was multi-year. I was like on the pamphlets and in the, mm. in the magazines and on the advertisements, and I had sang a song for them because I sing as well. So my voice was in it and my face was part of every, I was, I was like intertwined with this product. I was like a, one of the faces of this product. And it, you know, as many drugs and pharmaceutical things will sometimes experience, they will all of a sudden start to harm people because they didn't do the proper um, testing that they had to do. And so a lot of women under the age of 30 were dying from it and not getting heart attack, like, like experiencing like toxic shock and just dying from this product. Wow. And I was very young and I was very hungry for my acting career. And I started getting so much hate mail, emails. I didn't, I didn't have the kind of uh, infrastructure that I have now around me where I have a team around me and they keep me insulated and keep, like people don't really have access to my phone number or my email or I keep everything super private so people can't just like access yeah. me. Um, but at that time I, I didn't have that kind of wherewithal. So I was very accessible. I was very present on YouTube and I, and I had MySpace. I had all the things mm -hmm. at that time and people were very angry with me because they had associated me with the product and I would get all this hate mail about shame on you and you shouldn't have done this. And how dare you, um, promote this product that's killing women. Don't you love women? And it kind of really, it, it made me, um, question myself 
myself and my intentions. So I took about a two, two and a half years off from all of acting because I had to really sit and ask myself if I am in a project, whether it's a creative project or if I'm in a, uh, a commercial, should I know the best practices of that company and or the product? Should I know what that product is going to potentially do to society? And the answer that I had for myself, which is not the answer for everybody, I know that I don't have any judgment on anyone else who does do any kind of commercials. Right. For myself, the answer was, yes, I am, whether I like it or not, my face, my voice, and my likeness will influence people's opinions and will affect um, how people experience their life. So if I am backing a product that is potentially going to be very harmful to people or is very toxic or a, a company that has been devastating the forests or the water supply, I'm saying something about that by putting my face to it. And so I had this really deeply disturbing realization. And I was like, oh, I should take a step back because I realized all of the parts that I had played up to then, they were really ditzy, airheaded, hot chick, voluptuous, because I, I have, you know, bigger boobs. Um, <laughs> and I, would, I would utilize all of that. And of course, now we see that it's kind of, it's taken its own life a lot. It's kind of, it's turned into a form of positive feminism, but I always wonder like how much of it is positive and how much of it is actually toxic to other young people who are watching who are like, should I look like, is that what I'm supposed to be? Is that what a woman is? Is that the mold? Yeah. And so I realized I wasn't really representing a mold that was appropriate and I wasn't representing products that were healthy. And so I took a step back and I thought maybe the universe is telling me I shouldn't be in the entertainment industry. Um, and so in those years, I just kind of like kept myself. I, uh, wrote an album I was writing a blog that I don't think anyone has ever read <laughs> <laughs> because it was an anonymous blog I wrote it anonymously ah. and I anonymously um, wow. and I just was like I became kind of like a hermit and, and really kind of like when um, yeah I really did I really yeah. did until someone asked me to be in a film and they emailed me out of the blue and they asked me to be in a film. And I was like, who's this? What is this? Is this fake? I was like, first of all, this is fake. This has got to be fake. It turned out it was not fake. And it had like actors from True Blood and like legitimate people were involved in this thing. Mind you, you have to keep in mind, I was a nobody. I still, I still hold fast that I'm still a no. I'm pretty much a nobody in my books. Um, and so I'm like, how, the, how did this happen? I used to be a waitress right. at, at, a, at a hotel years prior. Right. This man saw me at the hotel and I had apparently in passing told him that I was an actress or an aspiring actress and he made a note of it. And apparently, also I don't remember, I must have given him my email. Oh my goodness, wow. He emailed me and he was like, I've written this character. It's loosely based 
on you. And she's Iranian and she's in the army. I know you're not in the army, but she, she, when I wrote this character, I really kept your personality in mind. And I know you were a, an actress. Would you want to play this part? <laughs> what in the heck? And uh, me, I have like a real deep resistance meter. I resist most things until, until they drag me through something. So I resisted. I said, no, thank you. I'm not an actress anymore. I'm done. As if I had like a, lo a long standing 10 year long career. <laughs> you know what? Right. I'm tired now in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, no, thank you. And then he persisted and he was like, no, I really want you to, did you read the script? If you haven't read the script, it's actually, it's not war propaganda. It's about how wars destroy both sides of, of the, of the field and how more than just soldiers get hurt, animals get hurt, dogs get hurt, children, women, all these things. So I read it, it was a beautiful script. I accepted, showed up to the, to the uh, table reads, showed up to set. And I was like, kind of like in loopy land because I hadn't really been in any big projects right. and I hadn't really met any celebrity type actors. And so I was kind of like in a daze about it all. I was like, this doesn't make any sense why. <laughs> they would ask, but I just went through it and it was a great experience. And it kind of reintroduced me back into the industry mm -hmm. because it allowed me to see, oh, I can choose a positive role. Right. And I have a positive message. And I can be very careful about the projects that I associate myself with. And so from that moment forward, I have been very picky, choosy, and a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> fortunately and unfortunately, Unfortunately, because in our industry, they, people say, just do the work that's, you know, like you, whatever they give you, you have to do essentially. Right. That's, that's, those are the rules of engagement. It is a privilege to be doing the work that we do. And any chance anyone gives you, even if it's to like, to do the most deplorable thing on the most deplorable project that depicts women and your ethnicity or your people in the most deplorable, you do it. You do it because be grateful. And yes, to a certain degree, you have to always be grateful for all the work that you do and do the work that is given. But I think it's important, especially as women, as female actresses, to really start to stand in our power and to be better choosers in what we, with the narrative we choose to, to kind of perpetuate. Yeah. So from that point forward, I was lucky enough to have my current agent. He discovered me on Twitter back okay. when I had Twitter. I don't even have I don't even have these things. I don't have a Facebook. I don't have a Twitter. Okay. I have Instagram, but I'm like so loose about using it that I'm, it's it's almost like a, just a veneer that just kind of sits there. It's like, hello, I am alive. <laughs> um, and so he found me, discovered me, and wanted to represent me. And um, and I didn't realize what he was wanting to represent me for because at that time I had already started writing albums and I was performing around Los Angeles. I was like singing at different venues and cafes and you know piano bars. And, and I had just finished uh, directing and creating, producing my own music video that I had like created all these costumes for and I was like, super excited about with a few friends. And I thought, oh, this guy wants to be my manager for music. This is oh, great. Okay. Then he can 
book my gigs. Right. <laughs> and and so I accepted the meeting and I went and I sat and I'm telling him about my music blah, 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 and here's my music video. And he's like, I don't know if I saw that you have an IMDb and you've done a whole bunch of projects and I, we're, this is an acting agency and like, we're wanting to represent you as an actress. And I was like, right. oh, well, I don't know because I don't want to do commercials because this bad thing happened to me. But I did just do this one project. And so he was like, you know what? How about this? And this was, he's been a godsend. I mean, he's been with me. Like, he's, he's my agent to this day. He's amazing. Wow. He was like, how about this? I will send you projects. And if they are not aligned with you, and if you don't feel comfortable, you say no. And you can say no as many times as you want. And I'll still keep prepping you and I'll still keep sending you these potential projects. And so it started really slowly with me saying no to a lot of things. I was also scared to like show up to auditions. I was terrified. So I would say no to a lot of things. And then every now and then there would be projects that I was really like connected to a couple of love stories that were just the saddest little love stories, but I was like, I, that really resonates with me because yeah. many times it's not perfect people falling in love and having a perfect relationship. Mm-hmm. It's broken people meeting each other and having to really compromise to like meet each other in a certain place and to have a, a functioning relationship. Yeah. yeah. So I would do a couple of those and roles where I was like a mom, a young mom, an abused mom. And then at, um, Oh, I did 12 strong where I was a teacher, but I was like teaching children to speak, mm-hmm. um, uh, to read and write. And the Taliban reprimanded my character and, and killed me because of what I was doing. And so I've tried my best, my bestest of best to choose roles that either she's a professor, she's a fighter, she's a leader, she's a warrior, she's a survivor, um, something that helps the the story of women mm-hmm. because we know history has been written mostly by men because it's his story so i was right. like okay let's mm-hmm. let's push along this this new thing that's her story and like what things can i kind of involve myself in that are kind of like that so i've done a whole bunch of tv shows and films here in the u.s um i i've i've done a, a lot of like action oriented stuff as well so like mm-hmm. things with combat and and whatnot shows like Grey's Anatomy, CSI, and uh, yeah, and that's kind of the breadth and depth of that section of my life. I've released three albums. The last was a long time ago, two years ago maybe. I've kind of taken a hiatus. I do that a lot. I feel like I'm I'm like um no Yeah, I'm very perennial. I bloom I bloom once a year. And I have, once I bloom, a, a whole bunch of stuff comes out of me and I create and then I, and then I retract and I right. go back and I hide. And, and I find that that has worked for me right. um, up till now. Um, I've been writing a lot of different projects, different short films, um, a feature that I started writing, but then I stopped. And right now I am uh, in pre-production for a short film that, um, that I've written about the process of healing as a human being and the process of learning when to say no, when wow. it's not okay to just say okay anymore, mm-hmm. especially as 
a woman, we're kind of raised to be a little codependent. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's, it's kind of how it is. And so it's a film about that. That'll be shot in November. And at, adjacent to that, I'm writing a TV show that is based on that short film. Um, okay. And I can't speak too much about, but that's, right. that's, that's a side thing. And so that's kind of uh, what's on my plate in terms of the acting and entertainment world. Okay. And um, yeah, so your, your, hands are, your hands are pretty full by the sounds of it. But as well as this, you, you also facilitate these healing workshops. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Yes. I facilitate healing workshops. And it all kind of it has a little bit to do with both the projects that I'm writing as well. But um, so I... I went, I filed for, I was married for seven years and I filed for divorce in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I realized coming out of that, that I had um, put aside my own healing for my whole life. I mean, my whole life, I had totally not been feeling my feelings. My twenties and thirties were, uh, sorry, not thirties, my teens and my twenties were basically spent me not feeling my feelings, bypassing as much of my feelings as possible, either doing spiritual bypassing, pretending like it's a, there's this, you know, I'm this high and mighty person who doesn't feel these things or um, just not wanting to, just not wanting to deal with my past and what had happened. And so I got into a, a marriage and, um, one that I was very happy initially to get into because I, I truly, truly loved him. I and mean, when I met him, I fell in love, deeply in love. And, um, but what I realized is what I was having was I was projecting something onto him. I wanted this perfect marriage, this perfect relationship to hide myself inside of. Mm -hmm. And once I entered that marriage, I took everything that had happened to me in the past, put it in a box and tucked it away as far away and hid it. So no one knew the life that I had had. No one knew that I was a smoker for years. No one knew what had happened to me. No one knew who I was. All I was was now this new veneer, mm. a woman who has been chosen. Yes, I'm worthy. Someone married, look at this. I'm not damaged. Someone married me. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> and, then I, and then I lived that for for seven years, not realizing that I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I haven't dealt with anything. I haven't healed anything about myself. I've just hid. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had to heal a lot of things. Once I got out of that, once I got out of that marriage, I realized throughout the marriage, a lot of things fell apart. I mean, I had addictions. He had addictions. It was not it was not a good story. It was not a happy um, love story to be in, although it looked like one from the outside, as many of our lives on Instagram and on social media look to others. It looks of course. from the outside. Mm -hmm. And so I think four and a half, five years ago, I was misdiagnosed with MS. Okay. And it was one of the most difficult moments of my life because I was like I don't deserve 
to, to, to have this diagnosis. I have a whole life ahead of me. I haven't even made it yet. You know, we have this concept in our mind, like I want to make it. I want it to be this amazing person, like an Oprah Winfrey. And I want it to be an actress and a star. And then I want it to be the super mom and a super wife. And da, 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 da. I didn't get any of these things. I'm not there. And instead I'm here with these weird symptoms and these constant MRIs and this confusion and a diagnosis that is what felt to me terminal. And then that was kind of the wake up call. It was like, okay, well, what, what am I willing to, to face what I've just been told? And it took a few years, but it turns out I do not have MS. It's not MS. So that's great. Good news. Of course. What I do have are a whole bunch of really weird symptoms that are unexplained. And slowly through the years, I realized, ah, I have like a special form of celiacs where I'm allergic to gluten. So that makes my nervous system behave a certain way. And um, my marriage wasn't working. And then all of a sudden I had a nervous breakdown. Right. Right. So one I up, yeah, I ended up at the hospital. My father passed away. Yeah. I had a nervous breakdown and then I'm divorced and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then I had to heal. And so I started to go to therapy. I went to a women's group. I went to a somatic therapist, music therapy. I started doing yoga. I started taking all these different classes and different I started doing like an internship with this um, music healer who does like somatic therapy and all of this stuff and really uncovering the layers of self-deception that I was participating in. And what I realized was so much of my ill health was actually part of this intense, um, this intense inability to not see and to not want to listen to the truth. And so when we don't listen to the truth, our body goes into fight or flight and we mm -hmm. experience existential dread. When we don't listen to the truth and when we're very self-deceptive, we experience anxiety. And sometimes anxiety can take on very physical forms. Yeah. It can take gastrointestinal um, forms. It can create numbness in your body, in your leg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, all these weird pathologies that I kept wanting someone to help me with. I was like, what is this pathology? What is it? Give me a pill. And it was like, it's, it's none of these things. It's just, you're not being honest. And you've reached like, you've reached a critical mass of self-deception. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, you've reached this critical mass of self-deception and you need to undo it. You need to relax your central nervous system and you need to start to heal. And so I started my journey back to healing. And as I was doing this journey, I was like, I need to teach this to other people. This is a thing that people should know because I think so much of our ailments, many ailments are very real and they need surgeries and they, and cancer is not to be, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, everything's in your head. It's not in your head. But yeah. Many things are correlated to your central nervous system yeah. being in a constant state of fight or flight. So my healing workshops help people spot their own inauthenticities, their self-deceptions. And then they also get tools 
on how to relax their central nervous system. So I teach TRE, which is tension and trauma releasing exercises, and it's very easily learned, very easily replicated and taught so that they can just do it at home on their own. If you're having some form of dread or anxiety, you can get into those positions and just shake it off. Um, the act of shaking, the act of like shaking your body apparently is very healing. And we've known this for a very long time. And we instinctually kind of like bop our babies when they're in distress. It mm -hmm. actually soothes them. And one of the reasons um, electric shock therapy historically and even now has been devised is because it causes seizures to happen mm. in your mouth and they like, and you go into a state of like uh, shaking. And then once you come out of the shaking, you feel relaxed and your body's mm. able to heal. Mm. And so I teach a few tools to people to really just relax their central nervous system and to heal. And I teach people that trauma in your body um, is kept in two ways. So we store trauma in our body. Our body keeps the score, but we also store trauma in our mind. Our mind keeps the score by the stories that we tell ourselves and the narrative that we have in our mind and the self-talk that we participate in and all the subconscious little patterns that we have taught ourselves throughout the years as a survival technique. But what, what ends up happening is those patterns and those tools for survival end up becoming the prison by which we live our life. And in that prison, all we experience is now suffering and more trauma because we traumatize ourselves. Someone yeah. doesn't send the text back, we could easily say, oh, they're busy, or oh, it's, it really isn't a big deal. Or we could say, it's because I'm not good enough. It's because no one ever loves me. It's because no wow. one understands me. And there you go. You just, maybe you undid all that trauma in a yoga class or during your meditation, but here you are in a yes. small little minute moment, re-traumatizing yourself. Yeah. Experience like, a, like for myself, I can use this as an, as an example. Three weeks ago, I felt a sharp shooting pain in my breast. <laughs> Okay. And it's very common. Many of us feel a shooting pain, a, a fleeting thing. And yeah. it's because we're, we're not a diagnostic tool that can instantly diagnose ourselves or see what's happening. We instantly go, it must be cancer. This is the moment that, that this is the thing. This, it could be, what could it be? It could be a tumor. It could be, a, oh, it could be a thousand. It could be yeah. so many. You know what else it could be? a shooting pain we've yeah many times since we were children we've had shooting pains in many parts of our body as we go through life and sometimes those shooting pains will last a week or two weeks and then they go away but instead we participate in this like self-traumatizing mm -hmm. cycle mm -hmm. so what i teach in the workshops is how to start breaking that cycle and how to start building a more trusting more gentle relationship with yourself yeah you can't, you can't have a good relationship you can't have that perfect love if you don't have that perfect love for yourself oh. you can't be with yourself if you can't mm. if you can't trust your intuition if you're doubting yourself you will doubt others as you go through life that's just a given yeah very true um, and 
I'll be teaching, the next workshop I'm teaching is in Catalina Island in uh, California, very close to Los Angeles. Um, and it's at a camp called Camp Xanadu, which is like a camp for, for grownups. It's like summer camp but for grownups. And so I'll be doing a 90 minute healing workshop um, at that camp at the end of this month. And so that's oh, the next one. Amazing, amazing. So I mean, obviously, you have you have been through a you've been through a lot of personal experiences of some sort of adversity or another. Um, another big one you have spoken about is sexual trauma. Now, this is something which I feel like I I, I sometimes sporadically hear stories about because it comes at a time where someone has decided to open up about it. But unfortunately, you know, there's a lot. A stigma still attached to trauma and people especially women I feel um, are fearful of talking about their experiences yeah. and I don't know how how young you were when you when this happened to you but um, a lot of a lot of traumas that we do experience in our childhood you know we, we carry them with us in adulthood and they're very difficult to to heal and and let go of and how did you how did you manage to do that was, was it a combination of doing all these things that you were doing the therapy everything else or what was that moment for you where you felt like wow I'm still affected by this I need to do something about it so one thing I have to say about trauma and sexual trauma is that there will never be a moment where you like flip the switch and you're like, ah, healed, done. I did it, everyone. I'm fully healed. Everything's done. It, it's really, it really is a dance. It's, it's like the waves of the ocean. The, the only promise given by one wave that comes is that there's another one coming right, right afterwards. And so you just kind of have to take it it's as, as, as they come. And like if you get triggered by something or mm. if all of a sudden you think, oh, I healed this. I healed this thing. It's done. And then something will happen and you'll be like, oh, maybe there's still a little bit more left here that I, I have not healed. But what I will say is that I, it's, it's been many, many years. I mean, I started going to therapy when I was a teenager. And, um, I, my school, I was lucky enough to be in a school that saw that I, I needed this and they paid for it. I had a therapist that the school sent me to, it was after school. So I had a counselor in school that I would go to. So there was one period that I would miss ever since I was 13. There was one period that I always would miss and I would go to a therapist counselor in, in the school. And then once I entered high school, I also received one day of counseling per week outside of school that I would go to. It was in the evenings. Um, so I've been going to counseling my, what I, what I would say is my whole life. Mm -hmm. And then I even studied psychology in university because I was like, I need to, I need to understand and grasp everything that's happened and be able to make sense of it. The first time that I experienced sexual assault was when I was maybe five or six years old. And when you experience it at that young of an age, you don't actually have uh, strong emotional um, 
actually have very strong emotional uh, like a foundation you mean to yeah because it's such a confusing and uh, completely abstract uh, thing that happens and as a child you're just learning things about the, the world and how they function so you just put it together like oh this is how the world functions people touch mm -hmm. each other sometimes and it's kind of weird but what I do remember, I do recall that when this person, it was an individual in our religious group, he was like someone's father, but I, and he actually sexually assaulted and molested a few of the girls in that community, which was a really difficult thing to unpack for all of us women now that we're all grown up and where we were like, oh yeah, you know, we can tell, oh, the, that's right. You were also affected by this, this reality that this person kind of created for all of us. But I remember I was at a religious event and he touched me inappropriately. And my recollection of it, because I was so young, was that I grabbed his legs and his thigh and I bit down on his, his thigh really, really hard and I wouldn't let go. And he started hitting me and whacking me, trying to whack me off. My father saw, and he, my dad didn't know what had happened. And my dad just like took me away from the person. And I didn't know <clears throat> how to explain that this person touched me inappropriately because I didn't even know, like, first of all, you don't say that. And we never talk about being touched in the, like, it was, it was so odd to wow. be make sense of so that was the first time that that happened the second time i experienced uh sexual assault was when i was in my teens as a 14 year old two boys um essentially uh locked me into a room and had me do sexual things with them and one of them tried to rape me um and so that one i registered very strongly i mean at that point I was really trying to, you know, at that, that age, you're creating your sense of self and your sense of worth and who you are and how you're viewed. And, and that moment really solidified a lot of things that were not helpful, like um, being beautiful is a problem. Being too sexy is a problem. Um, it is a curse. Being a girl is a curse. And... Um, and, and this notion of like, um, even when you say no, it can be viewed as a yes. Mm. And, and so I went through many years thereafter being very abusive to myself um, and still continue to, to do a lot of self-betrayal. And I think a hallmark of someone who has been abused like that is that they they will um they will betray their own best interests over and over and over again so you'll meet a guy and he's mm. nice but maybe you don't really want to sleep with him but you worry that if you don't he might want to sleep with someone else and then what are you right. if he wants to do that and then also like if you don't you know, what are the ramifications? He might leave you and then maybe you're not really that lovable. So to, to, to stay lovable and to stay wanted, mm. we do a lot of things that betray our own deepest self-interest. Like 
we will say things like, I want to be in this beautiful, healthy, monogamous relationship. And yet, yeah, will put myself through moments and things that are not that, not that at all. Yeah. I participate in weird little one night stands or really abusive sexual interactions, even with a boyfriend, even with a person that you trust, you might be afraid to like tell them the, the extent of, to, of your own fears and you'll just kind of go through these motions. And then we end up leaving the circumstance or the situations, teens, twenties, we get into all this self-destructive behavior and we end up vilifying all of these men. We're mm -hmm. like, this guy's a villain and this guy's a villain and this guy's a monster. This guy mistreated me. Oh, this guy, he had sex with me and then he abandoned me and he never called me. And this one did this and this one did that. And we never take a minute and say, where did I participate mm. in, this, in yeah. this whole dance? Where did I unknowingly participate? And that's not about self-blame. It's not about saying, oh, blame yourself or take responsibility for their actions. Mm. But it's, it's gentler than that. It's taking a minute to say, mm, there's a lesson here. And the lesson is, how did I speak, behave, and participate in these acts with these people or with this boyfriend or with this husband? Mm. And how was it a real self-betrayal at that moment? And how can I, this is the important part. So it's like, you can't go to the past and change it. No point. Mm. And you can't blame yourself and vilify yourself or be like, I was dressed too sexy because that's bullshit. You can be walking naked on the streets if you like. No one should rape you because yeah, of course. Period. I mean, that's human decency. It doesn't matter how slutty or salacious you are. If it's not an invitation, it's not an invitation. Mm. So then the question becomes, how do I change my behavior in the future? So the next time I'm in a situation with a lover, a boyfriend, someone who I've met, and I already said, this is my parameter. This is where I will feel safe. This is the container that I need. Mm -hmm. How do I hold myself accountable to that container that I set forth? And how much am I willing to give up? Am I willing to have a breakup with someone? Am I willing to be in a relationship with someone and be deeply in love with them but am i willing to have to leave space for listen this is what i said i said i wanted a monogamy and if you want to go and turn this relationship into this other thing or if you want to do this thing that feels abusive to me i am not going to participate and if they say mm -hmm. well then i guess this relationship is over then you have to stand in your power and say okay or when you meet someone and they describe to you what they want and it's incongruent with what you want because this is something as us women do all the time yeah absolutely. men who are fully addicted to porn fully addicted to this new dating uh, mindless consciousness of like swiping and like and we see it they're telling us exactly what they are which is they're telling us listen i haven't dealt with my shit I still have a lot of trauma. I'm very much so addicted to dating and or love. I'm very much so addicted to porn or dating apps. 
That's what they're saying. Or they're even saying like, you know, I just want to take it casual. I want to be casual. I have a few open things with a few different women. And then we, as women, whether we want or not want to get into that, we get into we'll it. We're just like, <laughs> and it's like, well, that's where you take responsibility. Right. Those are the moments where we create little tiny like injuries to ourselves. So like we've dealt with the tra- trauma happened. It happened in the past. It's done now. Mm. But we keep bringing it back with us over and over in every single one of these interactions because we don't want to seem, you know, like stuck up or not casual. Like, you know, I don't want people to think that it's like, why not? Why not just say who you are? Like, maybe you are casual. Great. Be casual. But maybe you're not casual. So maybe yeah. you're actually a very devoted person. Maybe you're actually very deeply monogamous. Great. Maybe you're not. Maybe you want to have a certain structured relationship that's not. Okay, cool. But that's what yeah. you want. You communicate it and you live it. Yeah. And in terms of uh, um, just being able to like heal the sexual traumas of the past, I think the only way to do that is to have really good communication with yeah. whomever you're with so that they know that that has happened. There's a yeah. history there. And then to not trap yourself back into those patterns by mm. participating in things that are going to like potentially tra- re-traumatize you, me, yeah. every, every woman who's been through it. Because so many women, it, what's the number? One in four or one in five women has been, has been yeah. sexually assaulted. Yeah, so, it's alarming, isn't it? Yeah. A quarter of us have experienced something that we need to be very mindful of when we get into relationships with other women and with other men and whatever, you know, however it is that people get into relationships, we need to be mindful of how we don't traumatize ourselves based on the things that have happened. Yeah. I mean, I think you've, yeah, you've touched upon something really important. I think as women, particularly um, also being quite maternal and wanting to take care of things and, and just wanting to control things and I think yeah not communicating actually what we want and what our truth is I think that's Mm -hmm. um, that's such an important Mm -hmm. point that you made yeah Um, like you you've also like meditation is a big thing for you I know that you have gone on on specific meditation like retreats as well um what now you know so many people these days are so many people are talking about meditation it's almost like uh, uh, a new craze um, you know that seems to be the advice um, a lot of people I'm talking to even in the current series running you know that's their, their go-to thing every day everyone's trying to tap into that yeah um, but you have done I believe you you have done a lot of silent meditation as well yeah. right so what, yeah. what kind of things did you take away from those experiences and and how can you um, practically take those lessons away and, and implement them into your everyday life Yes. So there's a lot of different forms of meditation. There's transcendental meditation, relaxation meditation. The form that I um, uh, participated in at the temple is Zen Buddhist meditation. And so I was actually just there this past weekend. I was at the same uh, monastery, uh, Buddhist temple. And so I've gone back to this same temple and gone for a silent just, and it's not really a retreat because people will call, oh, I went to a silent retreat. Right. There is nothing that's not, not a retreat. <laughs> right. You are joining monks in their daily practice. Mm-hmm. So you are cooking and cleaning with them. 
you are doing their daily chores with them. And most of the time you're just meditating and you are not communicating, you're silent. And it is a very confronting experience because for the first time you get to be confronted by your thoughts, your cyclical thoughts, the things that you think, the voice in your head, and you start to understand your relationship with um, yourself, really. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people um, are really looking to meditation because of the benefits that it creates for your central nervous system. It's really the benefits that people in our new age reality are looking for are the relaxation meditation type of meditation. So there's relaxation meditation, and then there is um, the meditation that asks you to uh, really look, to really see, like what what is it that you are creating in your mind? Mm-hmm. And so I think when people first start, they want to make everything quiet. They're like, yeah. they want to make everything quiet. I heard meditation means being silent. Yeah. So I tell myself to be quiet every time I think something. Mm-hmm. And those people experience serious rage. <laughs> the meditation process. Oh it, it is. It's a rageful experience because if you're busy um, resisting yourself, resisting your memories, resisting your thoughts, resisting the constant nag of automatic and not automatic thoughts, because there's two types of thoughts. There's intentional thought, and then the thought that's it's just like, beep, bloop, blap, bloop, words, 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 pictures, things, memories, beep, bap, bloop. It's just like constant, the constant stream of nonsense. Um, and like that internal dialogue. So if you, if all you focus on is, I don't want this, I want silence, or I've heard that I need to have my meditation look like this. I heard that you're supposed to get to a space where there's wordlessness, thoughtless, mm. no mm. thought. And then you make that a goal. Right. Becomes a living hell. <laughs> Literally. It becomes something very difficult to achieve because the whole notion of having a goal destroys the act of meditation. Mm. And so I think for most people, the first thing to learn is one of two things, maybe one of three things. If it's relaxation meditation you're after, do something guided and relaxing and go on the journey with that, with that guided meditation. That'll be relaxing. If it's insight that you are looking for, become very comfortable with the truth because it's very uncomfortable and start to listen to what you're saying in the back of your mind. And if you, if there's this weird thought that keeps looping, it loops and it loops and it loops and it really bothers you because it makes you sad. You're like, I wish it hadn't been like that. I wish it hadn't gone like that. I wish it hadn't gone like that. That's Mm -hmm. a moment. That's actually a moment of inauthenticity because whenever we feel powerless, like when we feel disempowered or when we feel something's completely not aligned or we feel like someone really slighted us, 
that's a moment of self-betrayal that we need to get honest with. Mm-hmm. So if something happened in a relationship, something happened with a friendship and they did something, you're not okay with it. And you keep looping and looping and looping. Maybe start paying attention to the loop. What are you looping about? And ask yourself, what am I missing here? What did I do in this moment that contributed to this? Yeah. So I've been pretending that blah, 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 did blah, blah, blah to me. And it made me feel blah, blah, blah. But the reality of it is that I had a hand in that. And I'm pretending to be a victim. And I don't want to face the reality of what it feels like to feel a certain feeling. And so I'm creating this fantasy. So a lot of times when we are thinking, we're either fantasizing about something or worrying about something. And both of those things are self-deceptions. A fantasy is a self-deception of powerlessness and fear. And a worry is a self-deception about powerlessness and fear. And so somewhere in the middle there is the truth. And so you start to get really clear on what's really happening here. Who am I in this story? Why am I I returning back to this pattern? And so that's kind of like introspection, meditation, where you deliberately, with complete focus, not like, oh, let's go in the loop, oh, let's go in the loop, but like deliberately dive into the deep end of like the pit of yuckiness in your own mind. And it's uncomfortable. It's it's pure discomfort. It is very confronting to see the shadow side or the darkness, the demons, the monsters inside ourselves, the people within us that, you know, tear us down. And then the third form is to allow, just to allow. And that form, I feel like in Zen meditation, it's like, it's like a combination of like knowing when to dive, knowing when there's a, there's a, there's a lesson and you need Mm. to dive. And the balance between knowing when to dive and knowing when to be like, okay, I hear you. There's like yeah. a, there's like a three-year-old child dancing and playing and rah, 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 right on the side of the room. And you're like, just keeping an eye on it. You're like, okay, I hear you. I got it. And then stay back, come back to your focus. And that's when you do single pointed focus. So a lot of times in Vipassana and different types of meditation, People focus on their breath. They're like, focus on your breath here or focus on your breath or focus on a light. So what you do is you foster single pointed focus. You create a a small task that is oriented in your body, oriented in feeling what it feels like to be in your body or feeling the breath and Mm. you focus on it. And when a thought comes, you allow it Mm. and then let it pass. Yeah. And And you come right back to that. So whatever that is, oh, I'm sitting. Oh, I'm breathing. Oh, that's right. I was visualizing that light. Or, oh, that's right. A lot of times meditation can be completely not at a temple. Like, right. oh, that's right. I'm doing this task that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're an artist and you're drawing or if there's something that you absolutely love doing and it keeps you focused, that's meditation. Because yeah. once you're in the flow and you're experiencing single-pointed focus, that is meditation. And when a thought comes, you say, Hi, hi, hello. It's okay. Mm. Side and I do that myself. Like when I'm at the temple, a weird thought will come, and then all of a sudden I'm like, and I'm like following the thought, following, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, 
shit, I'm not meditating. Yeah. And <laughs> like, go, go back. I just say, oh, and I literally say this in my head. I'm going to say, hi, hi, hello, hi. It's okay. And yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So those are the three ways of kind of really utilizing meditation to be able to benefit your mental well-being, your mental yeah. health, um, and to just relax your central nervous system. The insight-seeking form of meditation can agitate your central nervous system, but for your benefit. Right. Because I think that if you don't go, then you'll never see the truth. True. And if you don't see the truth, then you'll just have this like nagging, yucky feeling about certain things and certain ways, you know, things have gone. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. It has been such a wonderful uh, chat with you. Like we've spoken about so much and I, I feel like the listeners are really going to be able to take a lot of value away from this conversation. I me. hope so. I don't know. I'm a very, like, I'm a rambler, so sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, I really enjoyed listening to it. I've taken so much away from this. But the last thing, the very last thing I want to ask you, and, and I'm asking everybody on this series because I don't think we, we, we say it enough to ourselves. I don't think we recognize that in ourselves. But one thing that you love about yourself. One thing that I love about myself, I guess the new thing that I love about myself right now that I keep mirroring back to me is that I love about myself that I am evolving and that I'm changing because a lot of times we get fearful. Like when people are like, oh, I don't recognize you anymore. You've changed so much. Or people will be like, I'm scared of how you're changing. And it's like, oh, no, I'm good with it. I love that. Yeah. I love that I am changing. I love that who I was is not who I am. And that's, that's awesome. And I also love about myself that um, I really feel my feelings. Mm. And I, I never used to. And I really also, and I'm crazy. I love that about myself as well. I'm, I'm like batshit crazy. <laughs> as crazy as they come. That's, wow. that's me. In the same breath, I'll be crying and then laughing and then cheering someone on and then being like, life is death. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Because like when we're babies, that's how we go through life. We yeah. go through life moment by moment. And at any moment, you can have any emotion. It's and true. that's okay. And I never used to be okay with that. I used to hate that about myself. I'm like, oh, I'm crazy. And it's like, no, I'm crazy. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, on that note, that's a good note to end on, that you're crazy. We're all crazy, I think. Oh, crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. It is. It is. Thank you so much, Yasmin. Thank you for having me. Thank you um, so much. Oh, no, it's been such a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to, to, to being with you on this journey and keeping in touch with you. And um, I look yeah. forward to sharing this with my listeners. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was the end of another episode on Unplug with Annie. I'm continuing the series of Fierce next week where I'm talking to another amazing woman and I can't wait for you guys to hear the whole series so do stay tuned. For everything Unplug related do follow the IG and Facebook page 
at the rate Unplug with Annie. You can also go to the website www.unplugwithannie.com and subscribe to the newsletter so you're constantly updated with what's going on on the blog as well as the podcast. Until next week.